0: Thank you so much, Mark, for leading us this morning along with your praise team. We appreciate you folks so very, very dearly, and thank you for leading us into the Lord's presence this morning. One day I talked with a friend of mine who was very disturbed over what she was hearing from some radio and TV preachers. She said they claimed that God's children have the right to ask God for whatever they want, And God will give it to us. Uh, Sort of like God is a cosmic genie, and all we have to do is sort of rub the lantern, and he will pop out, granting us our three wishes. She said at one time in her life, she was persuaded by these anti-biblical views on prayer, and she said she prayed for a new house. Of course, the new house never came, and as a result, she was very, very disillusioned. Uh, prayer did not turn out to be what she thought it was. In fact, she said she got very angry. Angry because she had been misled by very confident voices over the airwaves uh, telling her she could ask for whatever she wanted and proof texting the Bible to say that is what the Bible teaches on prayer. Uh, it's very interesting that this past summer, we had two of our missionaries from Africa with us, and both of those missionaries told us that this kind of teaching is rife in Africa. Uh, Paul Wolfe, who uh, ministers with International Gospel Outreach, said that he knows of African pastors who have picked up the heresy of uh, prosperity theology, and uh, they teach that Every Christian is to always be well physically, never sick, and that we are to be well off materially and rich. In fact, Paul said that he has heard in one African pulpit, an African pastor say, that God wants every Christian to have a BMW. Still searching for that verse, aren't you? And then Russ White, who is working with the um, Tenwick Hospital in Kenya, said in his area, there's a whole network of churches called the Maximum Miracle Centers. And in those churches, they teach that if you have enough faith, you can claim your miracle from God. By the way, that's not very far off from the teaching of Joel Osteen, isn't it? Uh, and there are 43,000 people every week in Houston that will show up to listen to that kind of nonsense from Joel Osteen. So it is not only a problem in Africa, it is a problem in America. Now all of us know that that is a caricature of prayer. It is not the real thing. Uh, the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but it is to get heaven's will done on earth. And all God's people said, Yes. Amen. Now that being true, I have a question for you this morning. Is it ever right for us to pray for our own needs? Now I'm sure all of us would say yes, but I want to say yes with a qualification. Yes, provided we know what our real needs are. Now, this is really the genius of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Last Sunday morning in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we began to look at the Lord's Prayer. And you know the Lord's Prayer basically has two petitions. We are to pray to the Father about the Father. We saw that last week. Now, this morning, we are to pray to the Father about His family. I want you to turn with me for just a moment to Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to notice that in verses 11 to 13, uh, the second half of the Lord's Prayer, that the verses are connected by the word and. Now, the New International Version in verse 12 omits the word and, and at this point the NIV does a disservice to us while it doesn't change the meaning. The word and in all three of those petitions is connected to show to us that when we come to pray for our own necessities, that Jesus is giving to us a comprehensive summary of the real needs that we have. We are physical beings and verse 11 tells us to pray for our physical needs. We are relational or social beings, and verse 12 and then 14 and 15 talk about praying for our relational needs. And then verse 13 talks about our spiritual needs. So let's read those verses together and notice how this is Jesus' summary of what we need to be praying for ourselves. Look with me at verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now notice this. All the critical needs that every Christian is to pray for are summarized right here in the critical aspects of our life. After the first service, a seasoned Christian came to me and said, this is the first time I've understood the true interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. And I would have to say that that's probably true for me as well. And I'm so grateful for what the Lord has taught me, and I want to pass that on to you this morning. Let's begin, shall we? Here's the first need that we are to pray for. We are to pray for provision of present needs. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Now, bread here is a reference to physical bread. It was the basic item of one's daily diet in Bible times. Uh, Jewish people only ate meat just a few times a week. They ate two meals every day. And in those meals, they always had bread. So this is essentially what we might call a request for food in general. Um, If we were in China today, it would be, uh, give us this day our daily rice. If we were in Italy, it would be, give us this day our daily pasta. I said in the first service uh, years ago, if we were a Finnish miner, we would be praying, give us this day our daily, say it with me, pasty. That's right. That's right. Now, Martin Luther was certainly right when he said that bread here is a reference to all that we need in the physical realm. And I think that is exactly right. Jesus is saying to us, that as children of God, we can pray about all of our basic needs. So we can ask God for the food that we need, the clothing that we need. We can ask Him for a place to live. We can ask for transportation. We can request that He give us a job, that we have strength to do our job, and that we will have enough to pay our bills. Now, there are a couple of assumptions here that we need to understand. This assumes we are hardworking and we are not foolish and wasteful with the resources that God gives to us. If we are, we have no right to come to God and ask us for more resources to waste and be foolish with. This also assumes that our requests are limited to our necessities, not our luxuries. Uh, This is a prayer for our needs, not for our greeds. Alright, that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, Sorry this morning, no BMWs are promised in this verse. Uh, We may have to get along with a Ford or a Chevy, and we may have to have a used one at that. Now, uh, this does not mean if God provides a BMW... We are uh, wrong in owning it. But what it does mean is we have no right to ask God for a BMW. Um, Years ago, there was a pernicious heresy about prayer that went something like this that when you ask God to meet your needs, ask for the very best. After all, He is a King, and you are a child of the King. So when you pray for a car, don't just pray for any car, pray for a Cadillac. And I just want to say to you this morning, that is a pernicious heresy. That is absolutely wrong. Jesus tells us that we can pray for our necessities not our luxuries. Now, there are two um, other important thoughts here, and we need to see these this morning. All that we have is a gift from God. It is not the result of our own effort. We pray, Lord, give us. So even the jobs that we have, even the strength that we have to go to work, comes from God alone, and we pray recognizing that everything we have is provided by His hand. Here's the second thing. God wants us to rely upon Him daily for the provision of our needs through prayer. That honors God, not when we pray um, necessarily um, for the future and that God will take care of the future. Of course, we know He will do that. But God is honored when we come to Him on a daily basis and ask Him to provide for our needs. What is interesting here in the Lord's Prayer, the, the Greek word for daily, is the word epiousios. It was never found outside of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, And in fact, many Bible students believe that Jesus coined this word. And there was some controversy as to what the word daily actually meant. And then several years ago, an archaeologist dug up a parchment fragment from the early centuries with Greek writing on it. They were able to discern that this fragment was a common ordinary, uh, by the way, this is not the fragment, but this is what it would have looked like, was a common ordinary housewife's shopping list, like a lady today might write down as she gets ready to go to Walmart or Econo Foods. And next to a couple of the items, this woman had written down the Greek word epiousios, daily. And it became very clear then what the meaning of the word is. It means enough for the coming day. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to pray for enough for the coming day. Now, I have to ask myself this question. Why does God want us to rely upon him through prayer one day at a time? Well, here is, I think, part of the answer. In the first century, workers were paid daily. They were not paid at the end of a week. They were not paid at the end of two weeks. They were not paid by the month. They were paid daily. And if you did not work, you did not get paid There was no sick leave. So a few days of illness for a worker who lived hand to mouth could spell disaster because if you didn't get paid for several days, you would be very, very behind in your ability to pay for your basic needs. What is God saying? God is saying that He wants us to know that only He can guarantee our future so that we will regularly come to Him and ask Him. You see, here's what happens. When we know that we are dependent upon God, that all that we have comes to Him on a daily basis from His hand, that causes us to pray. And in praying, we draw closer to God. You see, one of the things, the reason God gave us prayer is not so much that we could get things from him, but rather so that we could draw closer to him. And when we understand that he is in charge of providing our needs, it causes us to want to pray more, and thus God is pleased because we draw near to him. Uh, I know some fathers who will have this practice with their teenage kids. Uh, When their kids come and ask them for um, some spending money, uh, the father will say to them, I will give you, let's say, $5 or $10, whatever you need, under one condition. And the kids look at their dad, what's that condition? That condition is that you give me a hug. And of course the kids will laugh, what an easy that condition is. My dad is an easy mark when it comes to spending money. But all of us understand why the father is doing that. Of course he wants to meet the needs of his children. And of course he wants to provide for what they need. But far more important than providing their needs... That father wants to be close to his children. And so while they will come wanting the spending money, he wants something far more. He wants to be close to his kids. That's what Jesus is saying God is like. You see, God will gladly provide for our needs. But far greater to Him is He wants us to be close to Him by our daily dependence upon Him. Um, After all, can any of us really guarantee our future? Can we? Can we guarantee that our health will hold out? What's the answer? No. No. Uh, can we guarantee that there will not be another uh, crash of the stock market like there was in 2007 and our 401Ks will be wiped out? Can we guarantee that? No. Can we guarantee that at the end of a four-year college program, holding in my hand a four-year diploma, that there will be a job waiting for me? Can we guarantee that? No. No. God is in control of all those things. Am I right this morning? Yes. And so, if we really believe that, we will draw close to God by daily praying to Him about all our needs. Jesus says to us, we are physical beings, and therefore we can pray about present needs. Let's look at the second one this morning. Secondly, we are relational beings, and therefore, Jesus says, we can pray for forgiveness of past sins. Look at verse 12 and notice that Jesus says, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, if we're going to understand what Jesus means here, we need to understand that the Bible teaches there are three types of forgiveness. And let me put them on the screen here this morning because this is absolutely critical to understanding what Jesus means here. The Bible says that as a Christian, we experience forever forgiveness, fellowship forgiveness, and family forgiveness. Now, let me explain them to you for just a moment because they're very critical to understand verse 12. Forever forgiveness is the complete forgiveness that we receive at salvation when we trust in Christ. The Bible says that the guilt of all of our sins is removed and we stand justified before God. We are fully accepted by Him. Uh, Jesus said this in John 3 verse 18... Whoever believes in the Son will not be condemned. And then he said in John 5 and verse 24, Whoever believes in the Son will not come into condemnation, but rather that person has been transferred from death unto life. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to every person who by faith in Jesus Christ is placed into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, we have forever forgiveness. We will never face God as the judge of our sins and our salvation. We are completely saved. And all God's people said this morning, Amen. But Jesus said there is a second kind of forgiveness. There is fellowship forgiveness. Fellowship forgiveness is the forgiveness that every Christian needs to enjoy daily fellowship with God. Jesus likened this in his teaching with the disciples for the need for foot-washing, on the dusty streets of the land of Israel. You remember in John 13, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and then he explained what he had done. Look what Jesus said to them. This is so critical for understanding this morning. Jesus answered, John 13:10. A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Now, Jesus was saying all the disciples except Judas were clean. They had been totally washed in salvation and had received forever forgiveness. And now Jesus says, you don't need a bath again. Instead, what you need is your dirty feet to be cleansed when you enter a house. As children of God, we are completely clean, but we do get our feet dirty, do we not? We sin on a regular basis. And so we need to confess our sins to have our fellowship restored with God. We don't need to get saved over and over and over again, what we need is our fellowship with God restored by confessing our sins. It is fellowship forgiveness. Now here's the third type of forgiveness the Bible talks about. It is family forgiveness. Family forgiveness is the forgiveness that we give to one another when we sin against each other. Now, let me ask you this morning, to think with me this morning. When Jesus says, pray to God, forgive us our debts, which of these three is he talking about? He's talking about fellowship forgiveness. The Lord's Prayer is for those who are already Christians. There is no warrant for any non-Christian ever to pray this prayer. In fact, in Luke's version, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. So this is a prayer for disciples. Now, notice what Jesus is saying. We are already clean. We don't need the bath of salvation over and over again. But as Christians, we get our feet dirty when we sin and therefore we need our fellowship restore now this is very very good news because what this means is god stands ever ready to cleanse his children who confess their sins in fact the word debt here is um, an aramaic expression Jesus spoke Aramaic, which is a sister language to Hebrew. And in Aramaic, uh, debt was used, sin was viewed as a debt. And the idea is this way. We all go, "Oh God, obedience. When we sin, we are indebted to him, and there's no way we can pay that debt. Now, you understand this. When a uh, person is in debt to a creditor... And they cannot pay that creditor off. The only way they can be released from that debt is if the creditor forgives the debt And so in the same way, what Jesus is saying is as we get our feet dirty as Christians in this world and we sin, we are now in debt to God because we owed Him obedience. We cannot pay that debt. So the only way we can be forgiven is if God releases us from the debt and forgives us. And the good news is God is ever ready to forgive his child and restore broken fellowship. Can we here this morning praise the Lord to that? Yeah. What an incredible thing. Now let me give you a caution that Jesus gives us. We have no right as Christians to ask God for fellowship forgiveness if we don't forgive others. Jesus says, as children of God, we pray, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, follow me very carefully. Jesus is not saying that we earn forgiveness because we forgive others. Please mark this down. God's forgiveness of us is always by His grace. It's always the result of His mercy. It is never earned or deserved, but it is always freely given because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Therefore, it can never be earned by us forgiving others. That is not what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying then? The little word as is a word of comparison. It means even as. So what Jesus means is this. Forgive us our debts even as we forgive our debtors. What Jesus is telling us is that forgiving others is a condition for us to even ask God for his forgiveness of our sins. Now we wonder how important is this? This is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus clarifies. Verses 14 and 15... Our clarification of verse 12, and this is so important in God's eyes because he wants our fellowship with him as his children to be unhindered and unbroken, that Jesus says, I want you to understand how important this is. Look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let me share with you a couple of comments from two great Christians of the past. Oswald Sanders, the great missionary leader, and William MacDonald, the wonderful Bible commentator. Listen to what these men said and it is so important for us. Jesus is stating a principle in God's dealings with his children. He deals with us as we deal with others. He measures by the yardstick we use on others. Wow. And then look at William MacDonald. To be in fellowship with a person implies similarity of interests and attitudes. God's forgiving spirit must be manifest in those who would live in happy fellowship with Him. A military general once went to John Wesley and said, I never forgive. Wesley responded, Then, sir, I hope you never sin. Bingo. Precisely. How can we have an unforgiving spirit and then come to a God for fellowship who is a forgiving God? It cannot be done. In fact, the Bible says that if we hold a grudge against others, it will hinder our worship. Listen to Psalm 66 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart and unforgiveness is iniquity, the Lord will not hear me. The heavens will be brass. If I'm holding a grudge against others and I come to God with that spirit, the heavens are brass and God will not hear me. And then listen to Proverbs 28 and verse 13 where uh, the sage, the wise man, Solomon, says this, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses them and forsakes them will have mercy from the Lord So unforgiveness is obviously one of those sins. If we cover that, God says we will not prosper. We have to confess and forsake it if we are to have mercy from the Lord. Now I have a very direct question for you today. Are you holding a grudge? Perhaps against someone right in this church, right at this very moment, are you holding a grudge? You will never be free in your relationship with God until you forgive that person. This week I came across this slide that I I think, says it so perfectly. There is freedom in forgiveness. And God wants us to enjoy our relationship with Him. And He knows if we are going to enjoy our relationship with Him, we have to forgive as He forgives. And this does not mean that we are reconciled with everyone who uh, perhaps has wronged us. Reconciliation requires that another person recognize the wrong that they have done and own up to it. But even if they don't, the Bible requires us that we have a spirit of forgiveness towards them. In our spirit, we forgive them and we release them to God. And if we do not, God says, when we then come to Him for forgiveness of our sins in fellowship forgiveness, we will not receive forgiveness. And what a wonderful truth. Jesus is teaching us. Now let's look at the last one this morning. Thirdly, Jesus says that we have spiritual needs and we are to pray for protection from future evil. He says in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, there was a preacher who had a nationwide program and he would receive uh, thousands of letters. In fact, he he received 100,000 letters every year and he said on the basis of the letters that he received that verse 13 was the most puzzling verse in all of the Bible to his readership. They would write to him about this verse and they would say, is it not a shocking idea that God leads us into temptation and we have to beg him to stop doing that? Have you ever been puzzled when you come to this verse? This is a shocking idea to us that that God would lead us into temptation and we must beg him to stop doing that. Well, what is God saying here to us? Well, let me share, I think, what is going on. Jesus is using a well-known figure of speech in which we express a positive by negating the opposite. Sometimes, to draw emphasis to a positive, we will negate the opposite so that people understand what we really mean. Uh, Let me give us uh, some examples. If I say to us this morning, not a few, what do I mean? I mean many. If I say uh, no small matter, what do I mean? Yeah, it's a big matter. If I say um, no small amount, what do I mean? It's a large amount. Now, that's what's going on here in verse 13. When Jesus says to us, lead us not into temptation, he is expressing a positive by negating the opposite. What he means is, deliver us from it, preserve us in the midst of it, is what he is saying. In fact, the second half of the first really is the explanation for the first half. The second half is the positive that the first half is the negative of. So when we say, and lead us not into temptation, what we really mean is deliver us from the evil one. Let me just say to you this morning, this is only a prayer that humble people can pray. In fact, what ties all three of these petitions together is humility. You see, if I'm self-sufficient and think I can take care of my needs, I won't pray on a daily basis for God to provide. Why would I do that? I can take care of myself. If I'm proud and self-righteous, I won't think that I have very many sins to bring to God. And so when others sin against me, I'll think, how dare they sin against me? And I will be uh, unforgiving. Do you know it is almost impossible to wring forgiveness out of a self-righteous person who does not understand how much God has forgiven them. But when I'm in the process of asking God for regular forgiveness of my sins, what that does is it humbles me. And I look out on others, not as me being greater than them, but I look at myself as being as much need as they are. And therefore, because I know God has forgiven me so much, when people wound me and hurt me and do wrong against me, I'm willing to forgive. Because God has forgiven me. Now that's true with temptation. If I'm self-righteous and self-sufficient, feeling that I have got things under control, I won't feel weak and vulnerable. The only person who prays this way is the person who knows they are weak and vulnerable. And so we recognize there are situations that we cannot handle and we pray, Lord, Keep me out of those situations for they are stronger and greater than I can handle. Or we might pray, Lord, I am blind to the charms of temptation. I cannot see the subtle allurements that Satan would use to draw me after his bait. And so, Lord, we pray, open my eyes. Or we might say, Lord, I I, I will not be able to see the consequences of sin. I'll not be able to see the cost that I'm going to pay down the road. And so, Lord, help me. I have a very limited, short view of life, but what I need is the long view of life. I need to see how every allurement that comes my way will lead to a cost that I do not want to pay. And so we will pray, Lord, help us to look down the road. Do you know this prayer is a prayer that God has promised to answer? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 picks up on this third petition about spiritual protection. And he has said, whenever we pray humbly for God's protection... It is a prayer He has promised to answer. You know these words well. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I want you to read them with me because whenever we pray this way, God has promised to answer this prayer because it shows weakness, vulnerability, and humility. Let's read it together, shall we? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, by the way, this is an effective translation. Some translations say he will provide a way of escape. But in the Greek text, the article the is there, and it is the way of escape. And what God is saying in his faithfulness, he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. And with every temptation, he will provide the way of escape. So that if we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, In every allurement, we will pray, Lord, show me the way that you have provided to escape this allurement. And we will pray, Father, grant to me the courage that I may take that way of escape and not look back as Lot's wife did and was turned into a pillar of salt in the book of Genesis. If we pray this way, we will pray, Lord, with every allurement, may I see Satan behind it. May I know where it's leading. And may I recognize the great cost if I sin in this way. And this is a prayer that God has promised. He will answer. And so can we pray for our own needs? Yes. Provided we know what they are. We're physical beings, we're relational beings, and we're spiritual beings. We can pray for our present physical needs. Not our greeds, but our needs. We can pray relationally for God to grant us fellowship forgiveness when we get our feet dirty and sin against Him, recognizing that we must have the same forgiving attitude towards those who have wronged us. And then because we are spiritual beings and our greatest danger is sin, God says we can pray for future protection that He would keep us from the very things that would destroy us. We may pray less than the Lord's Prayer, We will never pray more than the Lord's Prayer. It is all right here for our instruction. I wonder with your Bibles open this morning, would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer? And let's begin at verse 9, and let's pray all the way down to verse 15. Join me, please. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's bow our hearts together before the Lord. As we go before God, it is very possible that some of you here today have never experienced forever forgiveness. And therefore, your sins have not been totally wiped away, and you've not been justified in God's sight, and you don't even belong to the family. And you need today to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith for forever forgiveness. Why don't you do that now? You can say something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that I have failed you in many ways. I know I could never earn your acceptance. But I know that Jesus died for my sins and he rose again that I might have life. Would you say, Lord, I'm repenting right now? I'm turning from my own way and I'm turning to you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Grant to me the gift of eternal life. Make me a child of God. Would you say, Lord Jesus, from this day forward, I will now follow you as your disciple. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. For those of us who are believers today, any grudges in your heart right now that are blocking your fellowship with God, making the heavens brass, affecting your worship. If you would be in fellowship with God, you must be in sympathy with God, and therefore... When you ask for your forgiveness, you must forgive others. And maybe there's a person here in the church or in your family or somewhere else that you are bitter and resentful towards. And you know that poison is in your heart. You may not be able at this point to be reconciled to them. But you must have a forgiving spirit towards them. You must let them go to God if you would have freedom. And today, God stands ready to help you with the temptations of our lives. But we must know that we are weak and vulnerable, and in humility we must come and ask for His protection. And today, perhaps that's what each one of us must do. however God is speaking to you. Let Him move your heart today. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the clarity of Your Word. This is such a simple prayer, and yet we realize how profound it is. Every aspect of our life, all the important things that we should talk to our Father about is here for us. And as the disciples recognized they needed to be taught how to pray, so we say the same thing. Teach us, Lord, how to pray daily for our needs that we might draw close to you in dependence. Asking for forgiveness when our feet are dirty with sin. As we forgive others in the same way. And then that you would lead us not into temptation. You would deliver us from the evil one. For God is faithful. Who will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able but will with the temptation make the way of escape that we may be able to bear it. We Thank you, Lord, and praise you. For Jesus' sake.